0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining Law Matters. In the studio today, we have an IRS special agent, Brian Watson. And on the phone, we have an enrolled agent, Mark Barnes. And we're going to talk about taxes. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) And in the studio, too, we have our intern, Maya Thompson, who's going to join the conversation. So how have you been?
1: Very good, Sherry. I've been very good. How are you?
0: I'm doing okay. How's Mark? Mark, are you there?
2: Mark is here. Mark is doing as well as can be expected after a year of uh amazing number of bills pushed out by Congress.
0: Oh boy, <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to have a um, lively conversation i don't he doesn't sound happy, does he
2: no <laughs> <laughs> I, my coffee hasn't kicked in yet.
0: okay well we'll give you a minute. let's start with Brian. <laughs> Tell us what's going on. How has covid affected the um Situation with taxes and your job specifically, and explain to people what your job is.
1: Right. So I'm a special agent with IRS criminal investigation. I don't do audits. I don't collect money. I conduct criminal investigations on individuals committing tax crimes. So that could be filing a false tax return, tax evasion, failure to file. And we also do money laundering investigations. So I'm going to talk about some narcotics cases that we're involved in. We do Ponzi schemes. We used to do a lot of mortgage fraud. That's kind of calmed down. But um, I mean, the big thing for us is uh, most of us are working remotely, Um, so we've learned how to deal with that. Got some like everybody like it, but hey, I'm just happy to be working. So yeah, exactly. That caveat first. I'm 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 getting paid. I'm working. It's it's a challenge, but um, life goes on. We keep working. But like for people who are trying to get help at the IRS, one of the bummer things is. Taxpayer service in downtown Tucson at the federal building is still closed. The only place in Arizona that I'm aware of right now that you can get in-person service reasonably or in a reasonable drive is up in Mesa. You can actually make an appointment and go up there.
0: Yeah, send everybody
1: to Mesa. Uh, exactly, <laughs> and it's all appointment-based, so you can't just show up. But um, we have an 800 number, but the, we don't. It's not as efficient as it was. Pre-pandemic, That's the yeah. problem, too. So we really are pushing people to irs.gov to get answers.
0: And that's what? Um, they have a Q&A section where you have to read through everything? or
1: Well, depending on the topic. I mean, for IRS... Do they have a
0: person to chat
1: with? You no, there's, there's not a chat function, but there's just... It is a really good website. It's one of the best things IRS does. It, our website is very good, has all the forms and publications you need, research, frequently asked questions... Uh, there's there's videos for people who are starting a small business. There are sections on news releases. So I we always send people to IRS.gov because it's just a wealth of information.
0: Very cool. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you should have known that. i said it before.
1: <laughs> I use the website myself all the time. I mean, if I need, if I'm curious about some tax deduction or a certain form or wording or anything like that. I use the website all the time myself.
0: It's all in the wording where exactly. they put those commas. You have to exactly. be really
1: careful. Yes.
0: You think something is something and it's not. So tell us some of the recent sentencings that you've you've done.
1: So when I was on the show before, I told you about a case that I had that went to trial. Right. individual named Van Brolini. He was an engineer who worked here in Tucson, did not believe in paying his taxes, and basically battled the government for years doing the constitutional argument that taxes aren't even legal. Well, we went to trial in November 2019, six-day trial. He was found guilty. He was sentenced a year later in November 2020, so a couple months ago. He was sentenced to 33 months in prison, which we were very surprised because during COVID right now, a lot of our cases are getting probation basically yeah because they don't want to send people wear to wear an ankle bracelet yeah well yeah, exactly so and and this is a gentleman who is 71 years old with some health issues i mean he was walking around with canes in court and the judge gave him three years in prison so which
0: prison does he go to
1: so um it it's determined by the bureau of prisons so um i actually looked and this defendant is actually at Tucson FCI Federal Correctional Institution here in town. In Wilmot? Yeah, that's where they are. Okay. So, um and then we earlier this month, we actually had another defendant, a, a gentleman named Jorge Villarreal, Via Real, sorry, <laughs> butchered that one. Uh, he was <laughs> sentenced to 8 years in prison. Like that was a pretty a huge sentence and he he was selling meth along with his father um when the original indictment actually included money laundering charges as well, and and that's where IRS is going to be involved is when we have um, we investigate money laundering, and a lot of times it's through the narcotics route that we're going.
0: Okay. How do you investigate a money laundering situation, and what are
1: the red flags that you see? So I'm the wrong person to ask because I am not a money laundering guy. I am a tax guy. I'm a mortgage fraud, Ponzi scheme, those type of fraud cases. Basically, money laundering is we're just trying to show for a money laundering charge, there has to be what's called an SUA, a specified unlawful activity. That's what makes the money dirty. So a lot of our cases, we have agents who work primarily with DEA to work, uh, get the money laundering charges. Because with the federal cases, we don't want to bust some guy who's down on the corner selling small amounts of an illegal drug. Right. We want to go up higher in the organization, as high as possible, and we want to take what they've earned, the ill-gotten Ill- gains. We want to seize so that's how with money laundering, we're able to show that the money, the source of the money came from an illegal source. And then we can show we can also show that they used the money to promote their organization. So it's basically following the money and showing how it was used. And if you can show that this house was purchased with narcotics money, we can take that house. So that's and then what we do, government gets all this money, it goes into this big fund. And then it's shared with all the agencies that participated in the investigation it's a great way for the federal government to get money to local police departments and sheriff's departments to help them buy vehicles and vests and different things like that so there's a, a whole asset sharing that's going on between federal and state and it just encourages cooperation between the different agencies
0: i know in kentucky i was driving through kentucky and the sheriff's vehicle was a corvette and i'm like wow I'm I'm in the wrong business. I should be a sheriff and drive around in a Corvette, but it was seized property, yep. and they they use it.
1: And one yeah. other case I wanted to talk about: If do you remember the Toby Keith's "I Love This Bar and Grill" restaurants? There yes. was one at Tucson Mall. Yes. Well, if people have noticed, most of them, there were a whole bunch of them throughout the country. Almost all of them have closed. This place, they went defunct. Um, We have a case with the FBI. Government charged a guy named Frank Capri and others for their roles in a huge fraud scheme. Charges included wire fraud, money laundering. Um, Three other defendants, Brett Seltzer, Joshua Fowler, and Gregory McClure, McClure is an attorney, have pleaded guilty. Um, if, If anybody's interested, look up Frank Capri and Toby Keith's I Love This Bar. And there's a lot of stuff out there on him. But this is a case that's set for trial later this year. Um, Basically, that that the whole thing just went under. And I looked up. There's only on on the website. There's only two of these restaurants left. Where are they? um, In Oklahoma, and that's where Toby Keith's from. But they were all over the country, and they opened up, and they all fell apart. Why? Well, we're alleging the government because of this fraud scheme. But um, like I said, three people have pleaded guilty already. There's three others that are facing trial coming up later this year Wow whole bunch of stuff going on yes yes I mean that's that's what we do with IRS criminal investigation our job is to work the most egregious uh, tax and financial cases there are that's what we do we have to we, we're trying to do cases that are gonna make an impact in terms of stopping crime and then also deterring people from committing a similar crime
0: see Maya? don't do what they he's talking about <laughs> do you have questions Maya um I don't think they relate to, to, to anything that big yeah criminals no nothing <laughs> like that yet but Mark's on the phone so do you have questions for Mark I do have some questions well I have like I have questions generally about taxes because I have limited knowledge on that so Mark can you help Maya' she's 19 18 18 yeah 18. Good morning, Mark. Um, so Good I'm 18. I've, I've never done my taxes before. Um, Don't say that in front of a special right, agent. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so I just, you know, I, I never learned anything in school about it. I mean, my mom hasn't really gone over it with me yet. And I was just wondering, you know, what should I know?
1: Um, you know, I, all that stuff.
2: The basics are fairly straightforward. There's income tax due when you have taxable income. And then it gets really muddy after that. Um, Different incomes are subject to different levels of taxation. But if I was gonna sit down with somebody and say the most important thing that you need to know for the rest of your life, when you sign your tax return, whether you're putting a pen to paper on the 1040, or you're signing an 8879 to have it done electronically, you're signing that that is a true and correct tax return. And if something looks funny or if somebody has promised you some deduction or some extra credit that you aren't entitled to, as soon as you've signed off on that, you're accepting responsibility for what's been submitted to the government. And that's when Brian shows up at your door. Yeah, so don't commit tax fraud. Exactly. Don't commit tax fraud. And there's a lot. this time of year is bad because there's a lot of people that are making promises – that they can't really keep and they're fulfilling those promises by putting down faulty deductions or faulty income or even going as far as putting children on tax returns that don't belong there
0: how about cats to...
2: it's, it's just a lot of things and it's enhancing the refund and they're they're promising things that really aren't legal and shouldn't be there and we deal with those audit notices every year for people that are now find themselves in trouble and owe the government thousands or potentially tens of thousands of dollars. Wow. So your tax return doesn't look like what you think it should look like. And it's simple. You know what your income is for the year. If you made $50,000 and your tax return doesn't say $50,000 of income, ask, ask questions about it.
0: Yeah, and I think when people get a little confused about things, if you're earning tips, like you're in you know, the restaurant industry, you're earning tips, you still have to declare that as income. That's not free money.
2: There's not a lot of free money out there. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately. So I think she was asking, too, should this be taught in school? I personally think it should be taught in school.
2: I've, I've tried. I was invited out to the Vail School District to talk to the students about taxes, and there's really two major problems with it. At, at the high school level, you're talking to people that don't have a job and don't have a filing requirement, so you're talking about something they've never experienced before, which puts their interest level at zero, And then, like, that's the reality. Like, I'm sitting in a classroom, and I'm talking to kids, and they're not paying attention because they don't have a job, and they don't know what I'm talking about. And they don't care. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to get a check, and they're going to withhold Social Security and Medicare, and they don't have any idea what I'm talking about. And then the second problem you get into is, and if you had asked me questions a year ago, my answers are different today because things change that rapidly especially when we have, you know, a pandemic or an emergency or even in a regular year, things just change, and the rules that we had a year ago are different than the rules that we have to today, so, you know, sitting in a classroom and teaching somebody this two or three years ago, most of what they heard doesn't even apply, you know, outside of those basics. If you earned income, you're expected to pay some taxes, and then after that, there's tons of rule changes.
0: Do people have to declare these stimulus checks they've gotten?
2: Yes, they do. It is not income, but there is a reconciliation that happens on the tax return this year, and we actually have two separate reconciliations that need to happen. We need to take the first payment that you received and do a reconciliation based on your eligibility for that payment, and then we need to take the second payment that you may or may not have received yet and we need to do a reconciliation on that one. If you received more than you should have, it's a zero and you don't have to pay it back. If you received less than you should have, then you get an additional credit on your tax return this year and we'll see that money as part of your refund. But if you don't put those two items on your tax return, it's gonna get held up at the IRS. They won't process your tax return.
0: So Brian's looking for those deposits to make sure that you're <laughs> declaring them. <laughs>
2: well, the IRS it's,
1: computers the, are <laughs> yeah. All this is the, matched the IRS, up and yeah.
2: They it, know what they sent out and it this is it pushes the responsibility back to the taxpayer on this one that if you can't remember what you received, it it's your responsibility to get that figured out before you file your taxes. If you walk into my office and I say, "Hey, did you get your first stimulus payment?" and your answer is, "I don't know," I can't finish your return until you know. Okay. I, I can't reconcile that out with an I don't know. That's not. It's a mathematical formula, and I don't know doesn't fit in there.
0: What are some of the changes we can anticipate?
2: For this year? Yeah. Man, there's so many things that are going on. Um, let's well, start with your economic impact payment. You should have received a form 1444 last year. Spring or summer, and that would have told you what your amount was on your first stimulus. And then you should be receiving another form any day now, which is Form 1444B. Those are two things you're going to want to keep track of. Um, I know where the first form is it's in the garbage can. That was the letter that came that said, Hey, it looked like political campaign mail. That's the problem with the way the first letter went out
0: was that the letter had, from trump saying look what i did i'm so wonderful here's your check
2: yes, it, okay. exactly it, it didn't look like an irs letter it looked like yeah. it came from a political campaign it was a hey i'm the president i sent you money and it's got his signature on the bottom of it and people threw it away and you really needed to hold on to that to use that for your tax return this year
0: Wow. Oh. okay i'm not sure i threw it away <laughs> Okay, so you know they should have said something. You know, don't throw this way on the outside of the envelope or something, because yeah, that, it that's that a inside necessary... the
2: letter. But you actually had to have opened it and read the letter to find the part where it said, "Hey, you need to hold on to this till next year."
0: Wow. Okay. What else? What else should we be concerned with?
2: Um, there's a couple of things that are going to apply to everybody this year that typically don't. Uh, one of those is going to be charitable contributions. In the past, you had to itemize to take advantage of any charitable contributions that you made. And for 2020, there is an above-the-line deduction of $300 per tax return. And this is one of those opportunities where if you donated to any organization and you don't itemize, you can take an additional deduction for up to $300. Effective January 1st of 2021, that section was replaced, and for the 2021 year, if you're married filing jointly, you have that same deduction, but now it's up to $600. So, this would be the year since last year's over. um, This would be the year to think about those charitable contributions, and if you normally hesitate because you don't get a deduction for it because you don't itemize, maybe this is the year to, to make that Donation and help out some of the the local charities like Law Matters, you know, for example, <laughs> um, and and get a little money out there in the community and help uh, help these charities complete their missions this year. And you'll still get a tax deduction for it up to six hundred on a married filing joint. And what that translates to is if you are single, that's three hundred dollar deduction for you. So,
0: I think last year you said you can. Donate your entire salary. So if you donate your entire salary, you're only allowed to take a $300 or $600 deduction?
2: No, no, no. That's a completely different set of rules. Okay. Um, From a charitable deduction perspective, there is a percentage in place that you can take as a deduction. So let's say you won the lottery and in the first year you were in shock and you didn't do anything with the money and you've got... $10 10 million dollars sitting in a savings account. In year number 2, you make 400,000 dollars of interest on that, and that's your taxable income. So that's the that's our starting point when we compare this percentage. You decide to be generous and you write a 1 million dollar check to a charity. Under normal circumstances, your deduction would be limited, and again, it depends on the year. It was 50%, so 200,000 would be your limit. It went up to 60% after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, so your limit would be 240000 that you could take. And in 2020, they removed that cap, and you're allowed to take up to 100% of your income. So in that case, if you had 400000 of income and a million-dollar deduction, you'd be able to take $400,000 of a deduction, offset all of your taxable income for one year, and then the other $600,000 would roll forward to the next year. Then you get into the same math game of do I have more income than I have deductions, and that would be your itemizing. If you get into that situation where you're you're looking at comparing your complete income versus your deductions, you're going to be itemizing, um, and that's separate from this three hundred. This three hundred applies to everybody.
0: Okay. Now he just made me think of something. All these rules are in constant motion; they're changing consistently. How does that affect? <laughs> Your job when you're investigating um, bad actors, how does the law apply? You know, if it's constantly changing, you have to look at the date and the time they did that and then say, oh, this was the law at that time.
1: Right. So we keep it very simple on the criminal side of IRS. We're not going to send someone to jail on a technicality. We're looking for very big picture stuff. Did they not report? Thousands or millions of dollars of income from all that mess they sold. Well, but I, that would that would be on an illegal case. But just on a, a straight tax case, straight okay. tax case is basically clean money. Okay. And we're not going to get somebody because they this there there's something arguable. We're looking at big picture stuff. This person did not report a million dollars that went through their bank accounts. That that is something we would focus on and then also on the criminal side we have to show intent so someone's not going to go to prison cuz they transposed a number or their excel spreadsheet added up the numbers incorrectly we're looking at big picture stuff so
0: so you're looking at actually you're looking for the person who is responsible for all this stuff going down not the person who maybe is standing on the corner
1: right so the the big thing to remember the vast majority of issues that with the IRS are handled through the audit process and a lot of them are actually handled through correspondence where the IRS will send you a letter because there's a slight number off here or there and then you send in a form or document or you agree to the change and it's done that way then then there's the ones that actually involve in person audits but the cases that actually go to a criminal investigation where we're involved it's is just a fraction a small fraction of all the tax returns filed in the United States that's the big thing to remember. You know my mother-in-law who's no longer with us, she was worried that she would the IRS agents were going to show it up at her house and she wasn't going to have a receipt for a $25 donation she made. That's just you know and she's way on the far side of being overly cautious. That's yeah. that's not the people the IRS is worried about. The IRS is worried about people who are making up phony deductions, people that are putting, like Mark said, putting kids on a return that don't exist, underreporting millions of dollars. I mean, most people want to do the right thing. Because, you know, the interesting you know, tax evasion is the one crime that everyone has the ability to commit every year. And if some of them don't it, even realize it. Well, yeah, it's true. But, I mean, there's some crimes like murder and bank robbery that that's a given 99.9% of people in the country would never even consider doing right but every year you know you have to sign a tax return either in person which we don't want the uh, we don't want you doing paper anymore that's the way of the past we we want you to do it electronically and mark mentioned the form 8879 where you uh, do it electronically or you don't even need to do that if you're filing from home on your home computer if you file it yourself it's you don't have to sign anything you sign electronically um that it's the one crime that everyone could commit and in and, and i always tell people you always sleep better at night knowing that you've signed you know you've you've uh, prepared or filed an accurate tax return okay mark
0: i was yeah. talking to a person who has cats you know breeds cats is certain can they take their cats off on their taxes
2: So you get into this interesting area where we have to determine if they have a business or if they have a hobby. And again, it's taxes, so there's two completely different sets of rules if you have a business or if you have a hobby. So that's always gonna be the starting point with something like that. Is it something that they're doing for fun and they make a couple of dollars, but there's no profit motive, and this isn't how they support their household. You know, it's probably going to be a hobby. And then we look at hobby rules. Or is this really it? Do they, do they think they're going to have a six-figure income and this is how they're going to pay their household bills? And then we would look at it from a business perspective. So the answer, it depends.
0: <laughs> that is a definite maybe. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a few. (laughs) Thanks for staying with us. During the break, I had uh, somebody ask me a question regarding the Trump letter. What if you threw it away? What do you do now? Mark?
2: I'm sorry. I couldn't hear that.
0: Oh, it was asked if you threw that letter away that you were supposed to keep. What do you do?
2: So you have a couple of options. Um, The quickest, simplest option would be to go to the IRS website, irs.gov and pull a personal transcript for the 2020 year. And that will show the economic impact payment information, um, especially for the first one. The second one may show up as pending still. Uh, Other alternatives would be if your tax preparer already has a power of attorney on file, they would be able to access that information um, through our transcript pulling services. Um, if they don't have a power of attorney on file, it's going to take a couple of weeks. It's taking four to six weeks right now for POAs to get posted into the system. So What's a POA?
0: A power of attorney? Power
2: of attorney. Okay. Um, so we could get that information, but it won't be timely. So again, the easiest way is to, to go to the IRS website yourself, and get an individual transcript that will show your account details for last year. Now,
0: is that a hidden hidden tab, or is it easy to find?
2: I don't offhand know where it is because I don't use that. I use a different system for logging in as a tax professional to pull transcripts, but I'm sure it's if you go to the search box at the top and type in transcript, it will probably get top you right, right there.
0: Well, tell everybody where you work. You're the owner of your company. Tell people... Tell people who you are.
2: Uh, Mark Barnes. I'm an enrolled agent. I have been working in the tax and accounting industry for 30 ish years now. Got some gray hair to prove it. Um, Copper Canyon Tax and Accounting Services is located near Broadway in Swan. I'm looking out at the Catalina Mountains right now from my office. Uh, We're a local company and we provide payroll, bookkeeping, and income tax services as well as some consulting services and help with irs audits Um, brian mentioned correspondence audits i actually have one in front of me that has a proposed adjustment amount on it of forty nine thousand five hundred and ninety six dollars in taxes that i'm working on oops so he says that they send them out they really do i have one on my desk
0: (laughs) so the person who received that are they still okay are they you know did they have a heart attack? Any?
2: You know, they're, a they're a little panicked. Um, they a lot of these times when you see these types of notices, especially with the large dollar amounts on there. A lot of times, it's just a, it's a misunderstanding, and this is a situation where the person that received this is involved in a company. And when they set up the credit card processing, it was set up under their individual social security number instead of the, the company yeah, yeah. taxpayer ID number. So he's receiving this notice saying, hey, you have all these credit card receipts that you didn't report on your return. And I have the tax return where we did report it. Mm-hmm. It's just not under his social. So it's a, it's a simple explanation. It's one of those where I just need to get in touch with somebody explain this provide them with a copy of the tax return that shows the taxes have been re- or the income has been reported and the taxes have been paid well brian's and, here yeah i mean this guy did he lose some sleep i don't know probably the got a letter that said i owed fifty thousand dollars in taxes i would probably lose some sleep
0: <laughs> it's not a good day He thought that pandemic was bad <laughs> okay I want, to, I want to talk a little more about what Brian does because you go out and you're following the money. You're following the money trail. Tell me some of the stories because he's got good stories.
1: Well, like, what, like one of my favorite stories is going on a search warrant because we execute search warrants. And to do that, we have to go before a judge. We have to file an affidavit. To, well, before it even gets to the judge, it goes through several different layers of approval. I mean, it's a big deal to do a search warrant. So we we execute a search warrant, um, businesses, residences, things like that. And Let I, me ask you, know, you yeah. do
0: you show up in full combat attire? Are you showing
1: up in, like, one of those bulletproof vehicles, um, face masks? So. It depends on the situation. Okay. It it in appropriate for the different situations. I mean I've I've done businesses executed search warrants at businesses where we just walk in
0: Hi, we're ask there. to
1: speak with the owner quietly and like there's no it's pretty low key. Um I've been on warrants where the situation is so dangerous that we actually bring have basically a SWAT team make the entry because it's a fortified drug house and there's possibility of booby traps and Dogs and things like that, but on a normal warrant, we're we're wearing enforcement gear, so we are identifying ourselves as federal law enforcement agents. We wear our vest, uh, basically a bulletproof vest with markings on it.
0: What are the markings? Does it say IRS?
1: Um, yeah, they, we have all kinds of different markings. Say IRS CI for our agency. We also ha- it also say police, and they're kind of intermingled. If we go if we go to a house a house and we have a search warrant we have to do what's called a knock and announce basically you you knock on the the door door, ring the doorbell very loud and you basically you know wait for the person to answer the door answer the door and it's pretty intense i mean we try to keep things as calm as possible and we because we want it to be safe for us but we also want it to be safe for the people who are at the house as well and it's, but I've been on some warrants that are very low-key. I've been on some warrants that are very high-stress with dogs barking and people yelling and people not answering the door. And and you thought like, the IRS job was boring. Well, most of the time it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I do a lot of recruiting over at U of A. Okay. And we love to speak to accounting majors because they're instantly qualified for our job. Our job, to be a special agent with the IRS, you need 15 semester units of accounting. So you have to have some accounting under your belt. Um, we'll take any major, but that's why we love accounting majors. And I tell them, you know, if, if you want to just sit behind a desk all day and have everyone love you all the time, this is not the job for you. But likewise, if I... I, meet, I, I like you. I, <laughs> likewise, if you were someone who wanted that daily adrenaline rush, wanted to kick in doors, chase down people, make arrests, drive around at high speeds in your car... Working as a special agent with the IRS, you'd be bored out of your mind because we are the most cerebral law enforcement agency there is. We have – we're very document intensive. It's um, – it takes a lot you effort to trail. be very patient. Our cases take years to investigate. It's it's just – it's very different than, let's say, what an officer with TPD does or even federally like what a DE agent – might do you know I had a friend of mine who was an IRS special agent he was looking for just a little more action so he joined the DEA and was working over overseas and doing warrants in the middle of the night it, here in town I mean it's just it's just different
0: yeah a whole different approach
1: yeah you kind of like
0: slide in there well the nice with thing all with all
1: your paperwork the nice thing with <laughs> us is most of the people we investigate not all but most of the people we investigate work nine to five Monday through Friday, especially with our white collar cases. It's just it's very different clientele than, say, somebody working a, a, a gang task force with the police department or the sheriff's department or, like I said, like I said, at DEA who are investigating people who are working all hours of the nights and doing all kinds of crazy things um, in the middle of the night.
0: So if you're looking for money laundering situations, what, what are some of the money laundering situations that you've
1: discovered through your job? The different techniques that they do use? Yeah. yeah, well, the one thing like we're seeing right now is something called a funnel account. And the drug dealers are using this all the time because they know that if the, bank, the banks are expected to have an anti-money laundering program to identify... Right suspected money laundering because if if we just back up years ago drug dealers used to be able to walk into a bank and deposit thousands of dollars in cash and the banks couldn't do anything about it and cash basically has no paper trail so that was created the ctr process the currency transaction report so anything over ten thousand creates a ctr and it's basically a way to put a paper trail to money and then of course the criminals started going under that doing 9900 dollars or going to two different banks in one day to try to hide their cash. So the government and banks stay on top of this. So now what these these drug dealers do now is they actually will deposit money, say in Florida, into a bank account. And as soon as that money gets into that account, someone in Arizona is draining that bank account. The money goes in and it just disappears in another state by, another, by someone else conducting it in another state. So we call those funnel accounts because money doesn't stay in that account because if money stays in that account the government whether it's IRS or FBI or DEA can seize that money because they've deter- you know they've proven that it's illegal money it came from drugs so they they that's one of the techniques that they're using right now and then we're seeing a huge the big thing i'm seeing is the use of um, wives and girlfriends of these drug dealers to to do a lot of the the dirty work I've seen that where, you know, when I first started doing this, almost all the defendants in these drug cases were men. It seems like now they're trying to use a lot of female counterparts to basically... Because nobody else suspect. Less suspecting, um, and and, and hopefully if they are caught, the judge might be more lenient, you know. Now, that's not to say I have seen some drug organizations where the women are at the top, so... You know, this is America. It's equal opportunity in a lot of ways. But I've also seen, like I said, a, the use of trying to use less suspecting persons to to conduct these financial transactions as well.
0: OK, so when the person in Arizona takes the money out, where's the money go?
1: Well, it, it goes to pay for the drug loads or so it goes other, back you
0: know. to Mexico,
1: probably it, or China yeah, or some place. Yeah. I mean, there's right there's the the uh, drugs come north the money goes south and guns go south i mean like that's 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 how it works and and then a lot of a lot of agencies um, one of the things that, you know so federal agencies were, were trying to stop drugs going north but uh, i know dea and i know um, other agencies as well have also had operations where they're catching money going southbound so they they have someone that they suspect is bringing bringing the drug proceeds back down to mexico and they'll actually stop cars, and they're not looking for drugs. They're actually looking for cash.
0: Tell me about this this um, Mule initiative, Money Mule.
1: Yes. So uh, this basically, we th- it's not a huge problem, but it's a big enough problem that uh, uh, some of uh, local agencies here in town, southern Arizona, realized we had to do something about it. HSI and FBI and even IRS as well, we're seeing a huge amount of people being used as money mules. And basically a money mule is someone who moves money at someone else's direction. And a lot of times they don't even know what they're moving is illegal money. And a lot of these stem from these romance scams. Basically, and and they seem to target people who are a little bit older and are recently divorced, or not divorced, but like are widowed, widowers, widow- uh, and uh, someone, they'll meet someone online and they will give them... Uh, say all kinds of nice things about them, write them a love song, write them poems, send them flowers, say you're beautiful. Oh, I I can't wait to meet in person. And basically they start an online romance. But there is no online romance. All they're trying to do is find someone here in the United States that can conduct financial transactions for them. So they work on a person and they get this level of trust, and you got to realize this criminal is doing it with multiple people. And what happens is then at a certain point, they ask them, hey, I need you to move some money for me. And they're doing it basically to insulate themselves from their illegal activity. And it gets so bad that we actually, when I say we, federal law enforcement, went out and conducted more than 70 individuals in southern Arizona who we suspected were acting as money mules. They were actually given warning letters basically saying, what you're doing is illegal. You need to stop. Because what they were doing technically was committing a crime. But Did we, they all but, know they were moving money? They knew they were moving money, but they don't necessarily... They they thought it was legitimate, but okay. it was really they are moving illegal money. Now, could they have been charged criminally? Yes. But does the government charge all these people? No, because we also look at them really as a, uh, a victim co-conspirator slash victim. So we're basically... This was put on... And uh, HSI put out a really good press release on it. Tell people what HSI is. Uh, Homeland Security. Okay. So Homeland Security Investigations. And so we all work together, IRS, FBI, HSI, DEA. We, we all work together. We all have different main main missions. But this is one of the areas, this money mule thing, where we kind of get a lot of crossover. Because it happens. So these warning letters were sent out basically telling these people, if you continue with this scheme, whether you think it's illegal or illegal, um, you could be charged. Because we basically want – it's like a cease and desist letter. And I've been in the office when one of my coworkers was pleading with a woman to stop sending money to this one bank account. And she told her, you are sending money to a criminal overseas. And the lady on the other end of the line said, no, that's my boyfriend. We're going to get married. And my coworker said, well, there are three other women doing the same thing, sending same money to the same guy in the same bank account. So you need to stop. You're being victimized. But love just blinds you. It's absolutely amazing. So if we just tell people, don't ever Wire money or conduct financial transactions for anybody that you don't know on a face to face basis. Because it could be romance scams, they can be these grandparent scams, um, and, and it just seems a lot of them are targeting, uh, it's basically what we consider elder fraud.
0: don you know, when you first said that, I'm thinking, okay, money wrapped up to look like, you know, just a package, and somebody said, here, take this and deliver this to this person and they don't know there's money inside of it. But you're talking about
1: people... That could be it. I mean, there are cases when they're actually moving currency, but the vast majority of it is conducting financial transactions at a bank. So money money would be wired into your bank account, and then you're instructed to send it somewhere else. And really the only purpose of it is to create that extra layer to insulate the criminal from law enforcement scrutiny. It's just one extra layer that we have to go through to find the bad guy.
0: So if somebody's wiring money into your bank account, my bank account, I use my my bank statements to do my taxes. Wouldn't they have to pay taxes on that money?
1: Is well, that income? It's, no, it's. I mean, just because money goes into your bank account doesn't make it income.
0: So if it's on a consistent basis, though, how how do you differentiate?
1: Well, you know what's what's income because you keep records. If you're if you're a, a business owner or you're selling things online. You create a ledger with your accounting system, whether it's a Maybe you do. (laughs) Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, Mark's going to tell people. Mark would tell you, if you're a business owner, you need to keep good records. Whether you're using uh, an, uh, an accounting software system that you buy, or if you just use a handwritten ledger, or if it's an Excel spreadsheet, you need to keep records of all your income. But then likewise... You need to keep records, or should keep records of all your expenses, and then that way you can take as many deductions as you're entitled to. But just because just because money goes into a bank account of yours does not make it income. It could be a repayment of a loan, it could be inheritance, um, it could be a gift. I mean, an inheritance. There's all kinds of, of different reasons like that. But no, I mean, just because money goes into a bank account does not make it income.
0: Mark, do you have to pay taxes on an inheritance?
2: When you get into that side of my world, what you have to look at is the source of the income. And so a simple example, if I had $10,000 sitting in a non-interest-bearing checking account, it's not producing any taxable income to me. And if I pass away, the person that inherits that $10,000, it would be exactly the same for them. It wasn't producing income to me, so it's not producing income to them. If it did generate taxable income to me, they would have the same Obligation. situation as it passed on to them. So if somebody inherited a rental property, they would have the the same tax treatment. There are benefits as they inherit this, but they would have the same tax treatment that I had from that asset. And this would be true of stocks or bonds or Anything. So there's not a yes or no because, again, it's taxes and it depends, but it's a definite maybe. Yeah, it's a definitely maybe. Um, but we have to look at that underlying asset and determine was it producing taxable income to party one? And then if it was, it would most likely be taxable income to party two as well.
0: We should tell everybody that on the 20th of February, Mark's coming on the show, so get your questions ready. Because the whole show is going to be about taxes and the new laws and what's going on. And if you've got specific questions, that's your time to get it answered.
2: And every answer is going to be definitely maybe.
0: (laughs) So there. Now they don't even have to tune in. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about another case that you've been working on.
1: Also, you know earlier you had asked how COVID-19 has affected things at the IRS. The big thing over at the criminal courthouse is most sentencing hearings have been continued. We're just kicking the can down the road because of the courts have been closed. The grand juries are not operating right now. Um, And most defendants, unfortunately, are getting probation. So if you're a defendant, it's actually a good time to get sentenced right now. Now, at the beginning of the show, I did tell you about the individual who got 33 months for a tax crimes. And then the individual who got eight years for selling meth. Um, we have a, we have another case coming up in spring. It was a, it's a 16 defendant case. Um, one of the defendants at Vega jr. Scheduled for sentencing in the spring. He was indicted. Um, he was one of the 16 people indicted in Tucson for distributing meth and money laundering. He basically helped his brother, Peter Vega with drug shipments and, Laundering drug proceeds. So that's the money laundering that we talked about. But just already, one of the co defendants, Patricia Cuevas, was sentenced to probation in 2020. So that's, you know, we're seeing a lot of those cases continued. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, prison sentence this gentleman gets for selling meth. Do you they,
0: know. when they get probation, do they have to wear an ankle bracelet?
1: No, that's okay. typically no because those are expensive. Um, typically, the ankle bracelet is if they're on release pending um, sentencing. We actually had a taxpayer um, named Kevin Wynn. He has ties to Mesa and Scottsdale and also Alpine, Arizona. He went to trial for taxes for basically not, not, Reporting income from his construction business. He was scheduled to be sentenced. He, but one of his conditions of release, to, so he would be free until sentencing, was mm-hmm. to have the ankle monitoring. And uh, last summer, he actually cut it off. They found it amazingly. Like he didn't even throw it in a garbage can. I don't, like whatever. <laughs> they, they found it. He took over a million dollars out of his bank accounts and he fled to Mexico. But the story has a happy happy ending. Not for uh, for not for him, but for, for the you. federal government. <laughs> we we enlisted the help of the U.S. marshal, so I want to give props to them because they're amazing. They they really are. They're awesome, and uh, they worked with their counterparts down in Mexico. They found Mister Wynn living under an assumed name in a very wealthy part of Mexico City. And there's a picture. I've actually seen a picture of him. He was out walking his dog, and these three gentlemen come up to him and say, hey. And they figured out who he was. They brought him back. So now he's going to be sentenced this year, not only for his tax crimes that he committed, but he's also going to be sentenced basically for for fleeing. There's there's a charge for that. And he will obviously get more an increased sentence because of what he did, fleeing. So he's going to
0: be down there in Wilmot.
1: Yeah, well, it depends. I mean, it, it's a it's a federal thing, so they can yeah. put them anywhere. Right, right. And and with the federal system, I and mean, people use the term "club fed." I've heard that term, but right. to me, you <laughs> know, one night in jail is that's that More would be than awful. enough. Right. But federal prisoners are classified into different levels depending on their risk and what they're in for. I mean, if you're if you're a first-time white-collar tax event tax case guy committed some bank fraud or tax evasion or something like that you're not going to be going in with a drug kingpin or someone who's a serial killer serial killer or you know someone who's you know it's got to be i mean it's a federal crime so there has to be some sort of federal crime but there are some violent federal crimes florence and there are also people that have done things multiple times at different levels so there's you're going to be put in with with the appropriate risk level with other prisoners
0: So you don't have to worry about your safety
1: necessarily. Hopefully not. Hopefully Hopefully not. not. I mean, yes.
0: Mark, have you had any of your customers go to prison?
2: Um, I want to clarify and say that at the time he was not my client, um, but I do have a client that was released from prison last year. Um, because of COVID, his sentence ends at the end of February this year, and we're actually reviewing a business plan for him so that he can try to get his life back on track. Um, he did make some mistakes, and they did send him to prison for a few years, but he's, he's ready to go in the right direction now. Um, but again, he was not my client at the time. We did not prepare a tax return for him that landed him in jail.
0: Well, that's good to hear. How can people get in touch with you, Mark? What's your phone number?
2: The telephone number at the office is 344-4149. And you can also visit our website, coppercanyontax.com, which has all kinds of good information on there, including our contact information, our scheduling calendar, Uh, You can upload documents to our secure portal from the website, and you can even pay me money if you wanted to. Uh, There's a link (laughs) right at the top.
0: Okay, if people have information that they want to report to the IRS, who would they call?
1: So there's two ways. They can call me. My desk number here in Tucson is 719-6232, so 520-719-6232. And we also have an email address for our field office, and those actually come to me because I'm the PIO and I've been public information officer, so I've been tasked to do that. And that email is phoenixfieldoffice at ci.irs.gov. I'll say it one more time. office at ci.irs.gov. That CI stands for criminal investigation, the part of the IRS that I work for. Do you get a lot of tips? Um, I, I do. I I, I do. Um, not as many as you'd think, but we get a lot of leads. Sometimes they're uh, an ex-husband, email.
0: ex-wife,
1: former business partner, um,
0: <laughs> turning just, people in.
1: Just concerned citizen. I mean, I've actually started multiple criminal investigations that have been successful. And it started with someone sending in a letter to us with details that basically started the entire process. Right. And here's the cool thing if you provide information that's used for, and and the taxpayer is convicted and they pay money, you actually get a percentage of the money that was collected based on how quality your information was. And I've seen people actually get I'm going to go home
0: and go through my Rolodex.
1: There you go. I gotta see what you know what the catch is at the end, right, Jerry? No, what's that? You're issued a ten ninety nine for the money the reward. For the
0: reward? Yeah. That's so lame. Hey, it's income. Okay. (laughs) Until next week I want everybody to shop local, stay safe, do your taxes, get your questions ready because Mark's coming on to answer everybody's definite maybe questions. And have a good weekend.